Hello and welcome to episode 26 of Prognotes. My name is Destin. And I'm Drew. And today we are listening to Images and Words by Dream Theater. If this is your first time joining us, welcome to the show. Our goal is to educate and hopefully inspire you to uncover and learn about progressive rock music that you may have never heard of or want to learn more about. Uh, there are a lot of great podcasts out there, so we're honored that you're here with us today. We would like to, if we would love to connect with you, so please give us a follow at on Instagram at prog underscore notes or Facebook at prog notes podcast. If you're coming back to the show, welcome back. And if you enjoy what you hear today, we would be very grateful if you share the episode with a friend and remember to subscribe so you will be notified when we launch a new episode. And uh, also, for everybody who is returning back, please stick around until the end for a very uh, special announcement regarding the show. So, Dream Theater is an American progressive rock uh, slash metal band formed in 1985 at Berklee College of Music in Boston, Massachusetts by guitarist John Petrucci, bassist John Myung. I'm going to go with that. Myung? Myung? I don't know. I, I saw it both ways. And drummer Mike Portnoy. Uh, originally started as a cover band of Rush and Iron Maiden songs in rehearsal rooms at Berkeley under the band name Majesty by 1988, after another group by the name of Majesty threatened legal action for intellectual property infringement, the band settled on the name Dream Theater, the name of a small theater in Monterey, California. After having a uh, er, several several singers and keyboard players. The band ended up with the lineup of James Labrie as the lead vocalist. Uh, this is also his first album that he was on with Dream Theater. John Petrucci as the guitarist and background vocals. Kevin Moore on keyboards and John Myung on bass. And Mike Portnoy on drums, percussion, and some background vocals for Images and Words, which is Dream Theater's second album released July 7th, 1992. Uh, this album also features Jay Beckenstein on soprano sax another day uh this album is dream theater's only album to be certified gold and it remains their best-selling album to date selling more than 600,000 copies uh and actually it's funny dude i was just looking at the dates like we i mean i don't know i don't know how many years that is 92 to 2020 but i mean we just hit like the, what, the birthday of it what is it 28 years I mean, right? Wouldn't that be 92 to 02 and then 2012? So that's 20 right there. And then there's 8 to 2020. So yeah, Yeah. 28 years. Yeah, so it's 28 years. Yeah, just turned 28 years old. So Um, what were were some of the uh, reviews of this record? What are are people, what was the uh, the public's image of this album? Well, uh, overwhelmingly positive. I mean, obviously, you're going to look on the internet for a review, and something with music is subjective, right? So you're obviously going to find some negative ones here and there. Uh, But they're few and far between. And it seems like a lot of those people want to be more contrarians than anything else. Um, But, yeah, overwhelmingly popular. And we knew that this was the big Dream Theater album. I think that's all that you and I kind of knew about Dream Theater. Uh, Yeah. I've seen this this album cover several times um so i know of it this was the first time that i had actually listened to it end to end several times and analyzing it and and giving my take on it and everything um like you said it was certified gold uh it's their most popular one uh it was number 61 on the u.s billboard 200 uh back when it was released yeah um so 
on Prague Archives, it gets a 4.29 out of 5, which is a lot. Uh, and 2,900 people were rated it. <clears throat> so 59% of them gave it a perfect score. 5 out of 5. Wow. Okay. That's over half. And then yeah. another 25% gave it a 4 out of 5, which is still a really strong score. Yeah. Um, so over 75% say that it's a four or above, which is a lot. I mean, that's a lot. Yeah, is. So this is, is a very lot. popular, this is a very critically acclaimed record. This is a huge record in the realm of prog metal and prog rock. I think most people know of it at the very least, or at the very least know of Dream Theater. And I think most people would say, you probably want to start out with this record because it kind of changed a lot in the genre and is yeah. a benchmark for a lot of people in a technical sense. Um, and so, yeah, uh, this was a big one. I'll, I'll read a couple of the things that people said. Uh, again, almost all of them are going to be positive. So, uh, Mark Baum on Prague Archives said, The beginning of modern progressive metal lies in images and words. Although Queen's Reek, Fate's Warning, and good old Crimson Glory were the first to take hold of the flame in Mary Black Sabbath and Rush... Dream Theater took it to the next level with this release. Really, it'd be fair to say that all modern prog metal takes its cues from images and words. Wow. Yeah, uh, he said a, a couple of statement. other things. It is, it's a big statement. He said a lot of things. What do he say? Uh, they're truly masters of their craft, the craft being the realm of heavy metal. Dream Theater are, to me, undoubtedly the most talented coalition of metal musicians on Earth. Technicality, uh, the technicality of their brand of progressive metal combined with the complexity of their songs and James Labrie's uncanny voice make for a contribution to heavy metal that America tr can truly be proud of. Um, although Images is Dream Theater's second album, it was the first time when you could really feel the emotion and true capabilities of this band. The songs are much longer and more complex from their previous offering, churning out many of the Dream Theater classics we all know and love today. Um, I'll just uh, I'll, I'll say his one of his closing remarks here. The amazing capabilities of guitarist John Petrucci, drummer Mike Portnoy, bassist John Myung, and keyboardist at the time Kevin Moore are nothing to scoff at. Musically, these guys are unparalleled by metal or by artists in any other musical genres. Dream Theater albums, as far as skill and complexity are concerned, are often head and shoulders above the rest. That's why pretty much any album to come from these guys will become an instant metal classic. But Images and Words is the album that stood before them all and still stands pretty damn tall when compared to the rest of their works today. So wow. that guy clearly loved this record. Um, yeah. And to be honest, from what I read, a lot of them were fairly similar. I think this guy was probably one of the most well-written of the reviews, but most mm -hmm. of them said, yeah, this is the one you look to. This is right. the album to look to when you look at progressive metal. Or a lot of them said, or just metal in general. Like, at all, not yeah. just prog metal. Just in general, this is, like, that album you look to in a lot of different senses as far as composition, as far as technicality, um, and yeah. uh, and being progressive. Uh, all Music gave it a 4.5 out of 5. There weren't too many well-written reviews. And when I say well-written, I mean stuff that, well, you know what I mean. You can just tell when yeah. something's written well and when it's not. Yeah. There, there was one or two that was okay. So I'll give it from, there, there was someone named Michael Hirakita who gave it a, a perfect score, a five out of five. 
He said, Dream Theater's second release is an amazing album with some of the most intellectual metal you'll ever hear in your life. The band is basically the metal version of Yes and King Crimson, taking King Crimson's heaviness and Yes's progressive overlong tunes and making them into masterpieces. Hmm. I thought that was interesting. Uh, I don't know if I would completely agree with that, but um, I said, it's definitely one of the best metal albums I've heard as it mixes the perfect balance of both heavy and progressive rock. Um, so yeah. yeah. And I looked on a place called metal archives. Um, there were a couple of actually, like I said, fairly scathing reviews. Some people who were like, I don't get it. And here's why here's what's wrong with the record. Uh, and then there was one guy who said, I'm the outlier in that. I don't love it, but I also don't hate it. Um, but those were few and far between the overwhelming majority gave it like at the very least an 80, but most of them I saw as above the 90%, sorry, uh, percentage wise, most of them were like 90% or above, you know, I kept seeing 94, 95%, 100%, like majority of the people who listen to this record are blown away by it. Absolutely yeah. blown away by it. Um, I still keep coming back to what you were saying is that, you know, and so it, so it's no doubt that this album is, is an absolute staple in the world of metal, in the world of prog metal, some people, I mean, it, it's, it's almost like, it's kind of reminding me of, uh, it's, um, and maybe this is a bad translation, but it's kind of like the, in the court of the Crimson King. For yeah. Prog metal. It's monolithic. I think that's a, a fair term to put to this, this record. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's, but it's funny though, because as we're mentioning all of that, I, you, uh, most of the reviews that you've made or that you've quoted and have not given it a perfect score. Um, hmm. Like most of the reviews that you were reading were, you know, like they're in like the 4.5. Oh, no, know, sorry. The two that I read were perfect scores. Oh, they were perfect scores? Yeah, as they well? were five out of five. Yeah, it's just that um, All Music gave it a 4.5. That was the aggregate score. Okay. That was not this individual score. Sorry. So, yeah, a lot of these sites that I go to, I, I like to get a variety. Um, and it, it's because I like to hear, you know, what you know both a, sides of the spectrum is saying exactly well exactly like like anyone can vote that type of deal because that's more than just one reviewer saying this is the best or this is right. the worst this is average here's why that's cool but i also want to hear from other people so i like to go on these fan sites i like to see other people vote on it where anyone can vote on it who has heard it right. and everything um so the aggregate score on all music was 4.5 the thing i wow. just read by michael hirakita gave it a perfect score he gave it a so, perfect score. Okay. Sorry, I thought I said that. I may not have. Sorry. No, but yeah, I, I both think, of those reviews were perfect. Yeah. Scores. Okay. Wow. That's interesting. By the way, mm -hmm. the uh, the abrupt ending for this thing, I don't know if this is a confirmed fact or not, but the abrupt ending of Pull Me Under, mm. like it just it just ends, was inspired by She's So Heavy from Abbey Road. Very we're interesting. Just, we're just ends. Now, that, that fact that I found was on Song Facts. Um, so I don't know how well, I mean, I think they're a pretty reputable source, but I don't know if it's, right. if that's confirmed or not, but, um, but that's what it reminded me of when I first heard it. I was, well, actually yes. when I first heard it, I was like, wait, what the frick, what just happened? You texted me. Yeah. I was like, you were, was, <laughs> you were like, Hey, what was that? It reminds me of that Beatles song. She's yeah, so heavy. Was, yeah. Yeah. I, I don't I think I quoted the wrong Beatles song though, but yeah, it was like, you said day in the life, which I day understand because it's is, kind of yeah. everywhere and like kinda it does kind of. Yeah. But it, no, yeah, it's she's so heavy. It just kind of abruptly ends because they keep jamming on that one, you know, melody. Yeah, 
yeah, that riff for forever, and then it just suddenly just then boom. Done. And I even, I even read I even read about that too, and I uh, because I was curious of like because I saw so okay as I was like Dream Theater did it because of Beatles. Okay, why did the Beatles do this? And so I, I went up and looked that up, and apparently it was just like there was sitting in the studio, and John Lennon was just kind of like, "That's enough, just kill it." Apparently that's just that's the whole thing. Interesting. Like, that's it. We'll just we'll just end it there. I don't know yeah. why. That's bizarre. John Lennon, but anyway, for for being for this being such a staple, and and what you said was benchmark of prog metal, which I liked a lot. I actually, wrote that down so I would remember to say it. Benchmark of prog metal. I wanted to take a look, at, and I got actually really really into this and interested in the in the history of yeah. prog metal, and uh, so I wanted to share a little bit of this. Right. I feel like we should give a preface that you and I, and correct me if I'm wrong. Mm -hmm. uh for for your tastes and your knowledge and everything but for me and i think you metal is something we don't really get into that much so we're not intimately familiar with a lot of it as much as we are with stuff like rush and pink floyd and king crimson and yes we know those fairly well um and metal is something that we don't know as well definitely i mean maybe some prog metal or heavy prog or whatever but I, I don't know about you, man, but I have not heard that much. Like full albums from Black Sabbath, Iron Maiden, yeah. uh, Slayer, Pantera, like the thrash metal, the death mm-hmm. metal, the early metal. I honestly haven't heard that much from Deep Purple. And I know that they did, you know, Smoke on the Water, which was heavy for its time. Heavy for its time, yeah. But, but we're anyways, both, we, we're, we're both Zeppelin fans, though. Yes, um, but you know, I so, don't think of Zeppelin as metal. Granted, I know a lot no, of no, historians, I, I music historians that. do. I consider it ha- hard rock, but hard for rock, its time, yeah. was it Heavy skirting rock. the line of metal? I think so. Possibly. I think so. You yeah. can't say Smoke on the Water was skirting the me- the, the line of heavy and then yeah. not also say that, you know, the early Zeppelin stuff wasn't doing that too because it was. It was yeah. it was it was pushing the envelope, but anyways, I'm sure you'll go into this and I might add some stuff here and there, No, but please, I just wanted yes. to preface and say that we You're, don't know yeah. as, as well. I know a lot of our fans, especially on the discord server, you honestly know more than, than I do. When you engage them, you're like, yeah, I've heard that. I, I don't know a whole lot, but I mean, I know, <laughs> I know some from, from that, from the metal side of things because, well, you right. know, I think my introduction to all of the, the prog metal scene uh, definitely came from Porcupine Tree, right? You right. know, and and then say that. And yeah, because that's that's the first because the first album I heard by them was In Absentia. We've already done that record on the right. show, and uh, and it's funny because if you go if you go ahead or in, if you go to like Dead Wing and then Fear of a Blank Planet and the Incident, like it kind of just it, it doesn't it doesn't get progressively dark not darker but like uh heavier it doesn't get progressively heavy but it's definitely a lot heavier if you go backwards and you go back to like 2000 to like light bulb sun and then you go back to signify and stuff like that so if you go right they progressed into yeah, they progressed metal. into that metal stuff so right. like i kind of started i started with in absentia and i really really enjoyed it and i think you enjoyed it as well when we listened oh, absolutely to the absolutely I, yeah. it's a great record yeah and so but when it gets progress when it starts progressing a little bit like dead wings like pretty dark and heavy and uh, and that's when well, I got sort of into the sort of the metal aspects, but I never got into like the full on thrash, like you know what I mean? Yeah, Which no, I, I think... totally get that because Porcupine Tree tames it, and they they create a lot of lush atmospheres as well, so they kind of balance it out. It doesn't seem like they've turned yeah. it up to eleven for the whole record. You know yep. what I mean? Exactly. And there's there's a fair amount of nuance in Wilson's compositions, and and not just him, but the rest of the band as well. 
of porcupine tree. So yeah. um, I don't want to get too carried away with porcupine tree, but I see what you're saying. When you, yeah. you're looking at stuff like anesthetize, there's a part in there where it's like, whoa, you know what I'm talking about? Where it's yep. like, dur, 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 you know, and yep. Gavin's going crazy yeah. all over. And I'm like, yeah, that's definitely kind of, well, not kind of, it, it is thrash of, metal. That's yeah. the, that's the turned up to 11 part, you know? Yep. yep. But it only lasts a certain amount of period of time, mm-hmm. which, which is there for like 30 seconds or a minute. Yeah. That, that's going to come up later when we talk about this, but, um, to go into the history of prog metal. And this is, this is just, just as much. I needed this just so I can lay down the foundation because I know a lot sure. about, you know, all of the sixties and coming from the fifties and the history of rock stuff, sure. you know, and then we get into the prog rock. I, re- I was really interested in knowing like where the heck did all of this stuff start with the prog metal? Like what was the first prog metal album? And I started looking into this stuff. So um, I'll just kind of go through what I wrote here as being a the benchmark of prog metal history of prog metal. So the UK was the cradle of the first wave of heavy metal, which was born at the end of the 1960s and flowered into the early 1970s. So of of the many British bands that came to prominence during this period where, like we just said, Led Zeppelin, Black Sabbath, and Deep Purple mm-hmm. were at their worldwide success and critical acclaim. You know, the success of the music genre, which was usually called heavy rock at the time, generated right. a community of UK fans with strong ties to the psychedelia, the hippie doctrines, and the biker subculture, right? So... Each of these bands was in crisis, though, in the mid to late 70s. So, see, Led Zeppelin were plagued by their personal tragedies, had to re- drastically reduce their activities. Black Sabbath finally fired Ozzy, and Deep Purple disbanded. So, the new wave of British heavy metal, which is an actual term that you can look oh, yeah. up on Wikipedia, the new wave of British heavy metal. I did, too. I saw that, metal. too. Yep. Yeah, new yep. wave of British heavy yeah. metal. And I think they coined that because of the other new wave music that a lot of people refer to when they talk about 80s pop music. Yes, right, right. right. New wave, yeah. right? New and so wave. this was kind of their side. They're like new wave of heavy metal. Yeah. yeah, and I've heard of new wave, like new wave pop and new Right, wave exactly. Stuff, but, but I never knew that it was a new wave of British heavy metal. Like, I did not know that was a thing. Um, yes. <laughs> it was. It's hilarious. I know, the freaking, I know. We'll get but, to it. Uh, so the new wave of British heavy metal occurred in the mid to late 70s UK when the UK was in a state of social unrest and widespread poverty. Unemployment rate was at was significantly high. So I found a, a quote from American sociologist Dina Weinstein in her book called Heavy Metal, The Music and Its Culture. She says she describes the rise and the growth of the movement as the achievement of maturity for heavy metal after its birth in the early 1970s before branching out into various subgenres in the following years. British heavy metal fans dismissed the simplistic image of rebellious youth inherited from the counterculture of the 1960s and the psychedelic attachments characteristic of heavy rock in the 70s, updating the shared principles and codes of the heavy metal subculture and definitely separating it from mainstream society. So this was like a, this was a cultural thing um, that was happening at the time. And what she was saying is that the birth of it was in the early 1970s. So when I was looking into this a little bit more, I, what my conclusion was, I, I believe the foundation of progressive metal came from the new wave of British heavy metal in the mid-70s with bands that were coming out in the era, which were Iron Maiden, Saxon, Judas Priest, Diamond mm-hmm. Head, Motorhead, mm-hmm. Angel Motorhead. Witch, uh, Blitzkrieg, Def Leppard, and it's funny because many of these bands, um, they didn't achieve success until the 80s. 
Well, yeah, North- when I think of those bands, I think of the 1980s. Yeah, because it had that 80s sound, especially Def Leppard. Good grief. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, like, it's funny because they didn't achieve success until the 80s, but they also didn't, la- most of them didn't last past the mid 80s. And I think that's right. just because of the technology that came into place and people didn't know how to cope with it. But according to multiple sources that I found, progressive metal emerged in the late 1980s. But it wasn't right. until the 1990s when prog metal achieved commercial success with bands like you already mentioned, Queens, Queensrick, Queensrike. Yeah, that- I don't. Yeah, I don't know. I think I actually looked up a video, and I think the members say that they think. I mean, they're American, right? The umlaut is a, is a as far as I know, a German thing. It may be incorporated yeah. in other languages, but as far as familiarity with, you know, characters like that, the umlaut is definitely a German thing. And I think he said, or one of the members said in German, it's actually Queens Rouge. But it's Queen funny, Bruce? he mentioned that in a Q&A, like, you know, when they're much older, you know, definitely in the 21st century, yeah. they're much older looking back. And the reason I say that is because clearly they know, at the very least, that their fans pronounce it either Queensryche or Queensreek. So yeah. I don't know. I, I look at it and I see Queensreek, but it could be Reich. Apparently he says it's Queensrouche. I don't know. Well, I don't even know it. If I don't band know. Band members contradicting this, and I'm just, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna call it Queensrÿch. That's fine. Um, with okay, so anyway, so late 1990s when prog metal achieved commercial success was bands like Queensrÿch, Tool, Symphony X, uh, Shadow Gallery, Angra, Fate's Warning, and of course, Dream Theater. Yeah. So that's what I started looking at. Okay, was Images and Words the first true progressive metal album? So that's when I started going into this. So it's, it, which is, it can be argued, 100% be argued. And also just considerably, I mean, it sold considerably well um, being certified. Obviously, like you said, it, uh, it reached gold and it was 61st on the Billboard charts, which is incredible considering how difficult progressive metal is to market. Right. So I, I think that's like an anomaly, honestly. As much as, as much as an anomaly of Rush, like coming out with 2112, which, you know, obviously Dream Theater took big influence from. This is kind of an anomaly to me. Listening to this, I'm like, this achieved, This was that successful? Like, yeah. I don't know. But anyway, I want to look. So let's look at the possible arguments against the first true prog metal album. Okay? So I'm going to go back to 1968. All right? And I have several different arguments that can be made for this. Because I thought this argument, I thought this was really interesting. So 1968... Iron Butterfly released a 17-minute-long song called Anagata de Vida, which, according to my yeah. research, is the mo- is most often seen as the, the predecessor for both prog rock and for heavy metal. Next year, 1969, King Crimson released In the Court of the Crimson King, arguably right. the start of prog rock with, with some metal head nods, right? I mean, if you look at 21st Century Schizo, man, it, it's interesting. And, right. But also, same year, a band called High Tide released their debut album called Sea Shanties, which is even more interesting for the discussion of prog metal. By, and when I say prog metal, this is by like 1960s standards, not 21st century, you know, um, which is like long passages and overdriven tones. It still had a bluesy side to it, but I'd say these two records were the heaviest albums released in the 60s, along with Led Zeppelin's first two records. Right. So... Now we're leaving from the 1960s and discussion of prog metal from the first half of the 70s. There's probably two bands that are probably uh, more relevant than others, which I think were Black Sabbath and Rush. So 
and a book called Mean Deviation, Four Decades of Progressive Heavy Metal, Jeff Wagner stated in his book that in his view, the first prog metal album ever was Black Sabbath's Savvy Bloody Sabbath from 1973. And uh, if you're interested in his argument, I'm not going to read it, but if you're interested in the argument, I will, we'll put it in the upcoming uh, newsletter. If you're not a part of the newsletter, you can join on uh, all of our social media channels as well as the description uh, for this episode. Uh, so Black Sabbath is at least metal. I think most of us can agree with. Um, but I listened to I listened to several Black Sabbath albums just to get to get myself a little bit more familiar with what they were doing. And by Volume Four, which came out in 1972, they started moving towards a more progressive direction, arguably. But but definitely on their next record, in or not maybe uh, on 1975's Sabotage. They took a yet a step further, especially in songs like I heard uh, one song called Symptom of the Universe and another one called Megalomania, definitely moving into that progressive di- progressive direction. Rush, on the other hand, is by most people not accepted, I think, as metal, but most people consider them as prog rock, like I think you and I do. I don't really look at them as being a prog metal band. Well, um, you know, it's interesting you say that because I've actually heard them. What I heard a term one time them mentioned as the grandfathers of progressive rock metal. So metal was used in that term. I mean, you know, crowd people can slap labels what, on labels on whatever. Anything. What yeah. was it? What we, we, God, when we were first starting our band neon nightmare creature pop, I know I'm not, no, I'm not kidding. No, I'm I not know. kidding you. That was the yep. name of a band. I don't know where or how remember. we found them. Well, that was, that was their genre. They, they labeled themselves as neon nightmare creature, creature pop. pop. Yeah, what in so, the world? Anyways, all that said, you know, you can, labels are labels. You can put a label on on anything and make anything. But yeah. uh, you know, the I, I say that to say that um, the grandfathers of progressive rock metal. I've heard them used in kind of metal spheres here and there, and I oh, think definitely. a lot of the I agree with you. I the consider influence. them more prog rock. I consider yeah. them more prog rock than I do. Like I never use the term metal with them. Okay, that's not true. That's not Certain. true, particularly with their later stuff, to be honest, like their more recent stuff in the early yeah. 2000s. I would apply metal to something like Clockwork Angels. Yeah, or, or Tesseracco. Or, yeah, exactly that. Or even Snakes and Arrows. Some of the stuff on Snakes and Arrows in 2007 really seems like that. But, yeah, Far Cry. Uh, like that. But anyways, uh, yeah, I don't like instantly think metal when I think Rush. When I think Rush, mm-hmm. instinctively, I think prog rock. And they were one of one of the they took the torch let's put it that way from yes and genesis yeah and all of that so and king crimson definitely i would i would agree to that and 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 on albums like uh fly by night and crest of steel you know i think that you could argue the fact that they were quite close to oh yeah the whole prog metal thing and i mean even even the even the you know 2112 even the next year after that in 76 it was they were even closer you know? Yeah, and this is something that I don't know if we want to spend too much time on the history, but I was also just kind of thinking of through because you were saying you were like you know a little bit more with stuff like you know the early to mid fifties and going into the sixties with the Beatles and everything. Well, you know I don't know if we want to again spend too much time on it, but let's let's go back to that real quick. Let's think of okay, mm-hmm. think of how music was getting more intense. Okay, the Beatles were kind of clean cut to begin with. 
but it was still right. rock and roll. And rock and roll back in the day was very controversial. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people were saying it's satanic, right? And people were burning those records. And they were saying, you shouldn't listen to it. We don't want our kids brought up on stuff like this. Elvis is shaking his hips too much, yada, yada, yada. Um, and the Beatles were, by today's standards, very tame, right? They were mm-hmm. a boy band making pop music. wasn't very heavy, what we consider today. The Stones were a bit more rebellious and wanted to promote that rebellious image more than the Beatles did. But let's let's fast forward a little bit. Then you get Helter Skelter in 1968 by the Beatles, mm-hmm. and you're getting yeah the Rolling Stones being even more audacious, even more yeah, with something like Paint It Black or Sympathy for the Devil and stuff like that. Sympathy for the Devil actually has kind of a lighter tune to it melodically, actually. But you know th- you have Devil in the title, right? That's that's a big deal, yeah. Back then, but mm-hmm. then like you said, late 60s, yeah, Led Zeppelin's coming onto the Led scene, Zeppelin. Black Sabbath yep. is coming onto the scene, and that at that time. That's they put the term, and I think a lot of music historians put the term hard rock on there. It's yeah. getting harder. But right. yeah, that's a good term. It's getting heavier. It's getting harder. And then you get to a point where you're like, whoa, you're starting to alienate some people with yeah. with how hard it's getting. And I think that's when metal starts to kind of take shape. And you get something yeah. like Black Sabbath. And you get something like uh like you said, like like even eh, dipping a little bit even into Led Zeppelin. But um Yeah. Yeah, I just think it's I, I think it's interesting how to me, I would say, yeah, if you're looking at it, that's the origin. That's Deep the origin. Purple, Uriah Heap, that's the yeah. origin of metal. Even early Rush, that's where it starts of, of metal yeah. and honestly Definitely. prog metal, even if you don't consider it the first as that, which I don't. I would not, again, I don't put the term prog metal onto Fly By Night or Caress of Steel. Yeah, I personally don't, but that's where it started. I mean, yeah. th- those types of bands and, and, and what they were pushing the envelope, what they were doing. That's definitely where a lot of other bands took their inspiration from. Yeah. Oh, definitely. And I mean, and so now we're even getting up to the point where, you know, that's that's the 50s and the 60s and the 70s. And then we get up to like the first half, the 80s, right? Continuing the timeline. And then, you know, you got, yeah. uh, I mean, like I said, you have uh, Iron Maiden, uh, Merciful Fate, Metallica, oh, you know, yeah. Venom. You know, yeah. and they're starting to bring Megadeth, some of those progressive Slayer, yeah. Slayer yep. Pantera, Motorhead. Yeah. Yeah. You start getting into those progressive influences. And and when you say progressive, you know, you're we're generalizing here and Right. You know, That's a I, very I would, broad assume, term. Exactly. I would assume that the <laughs> I would assume though that the influences of what people are saying is being progressive in the first half of the eighties would be from the early pioneers and what they were doing. Oh, yeah. So we're looking oh, yeah. back to Genesis, yes, Ru, you know, all of those guys. Um and, and but in, in 1984, I find this I find this really interesting. the The debut album of the Seattle-based Queensrÿche, The Warning, uh, which was an an EP that was released by the band two years early, or two years earlier, um, was released. And this album is that. Some, and I found this online. Some people claim to be the first prog metal album, 1984. But other other people suggested as just being a, a United States power metal which that whole term i don't understand how that stuff balances out power metal thrash metal prog metal whatever but could be considered uh prog metal some people consider it power metal and uh, a side note as well and this is something that i looked up and i wanted to put out there a case could be made for queensrike's operation mind crime to be pro- the first prog metal album but According to my research that I was finding, it seems to say that this album falls more on the side of the heavy metal rather than progressive metal. And the only other band in the genre with with such success as what they had was Tool, 
which by this point they were released, you know, they released uh, Undertow and Enema at least one year after Dream Theater and received considerably more press from Rolling Stones, but Tool didn't even get re- Tool did not even get the progressive metal tag until Lateralis. And you know, so I think Tool makes a strong case, but the controversy regarding their genre makes it super difficult to recognize um, their, I guess you could say their achievement as a as a prog metal band until Lateralis, which was nine years after Images and Words. But anyway, um, so what I think, and this is me summing up this entire little uh, bit here, synopsis. I believe, yeah, synopsis, <laughs> around 1985 is when the genre starts to take its shape. So a band called Watchtower released their debut album called Energetic Disassembly, which sounds like technical thrash metal, um, which is funny because that's what it's the, the term of it. If you actually look up the record online and you look up like, what is this? They call it technical thrash metal. Some consider it to be the first prog metal album ever as well. Uh, Blind Illusion also released their debut album, The Sane Asylum. 1988, Fate's Warning, which that's another band that comes up. They kind of get grouped together with Dream Theater a lot. Queensryche, uh, Fate's Warning, and Dream Theater kind of get grouped together sometimes. Yeah, I think um, they're called like the Big Three or something. Yeah, yeah. And Fate's Warning released their fourth album called No Exit. Uh, and I listened to that one. It was a more progressive direction, but it I don't. It wasn't until the next year in their next album, which was Perfect Symmetry, uh, that they really tar- started to take the progressive element full out. Which is why uh, some people say that 1989 was the true start of prog metal as a genre. So the American band, um, uh, they're called Atheist, released their debut album, Peace of Time, which online is also labeled as technical death metal. And it's funny. It's like they're using this like technical rather than just right. saying prog. I don't know. Um, but 1989 was also was also important because of another album and a band, Dream Theater. See, their first record, When Dream and Day Unite, their debut album from the same year was released. But also, if you remember my mention to Watchtower just a minute ago, that's also because in 1989 they released their second album, Control and Resistance, which was extremely progressive. Um, so from Queensryche's Empire in 1990, Fate's Warnings Parallels in 1991 and Dream Theater's Images and Words in 1992, these three albums were the band's most commercially successful records. And Empire and Images and Words are, are would be the most successful of the three, but both Queensryche and Fate's Warning started turning to a more commercial sound with these albums. Fate's Warning would later return to a heavier sound, but Queensryche wouldn't be that relevant for prog metal ever again, really. And so their Operation Mind Crime 2 was just not that successful, which takes us to this record, Images and Words, which could be arguably maybe not the first, but the most relevant band mm-hmm. in prog metal. Yeah, I think you're right. I, I just wanted to say that when I, I've heard bits and pieces of Queensryche here and there, and even Iron Maiden, which a lot of people will even say, some of that's kind of prog metal or yeah. thrash metal, and or at least you know prog adjacent, whatever you want to call it. But uh, definitely influential, I think, to obviously Dream Theater because, like you said, they had covered their material when they were at Berkeley, right? But yep. I listen to stuff like Iron Maiden and Queensreek, and I'm like, don't really the main thing that makes me think that the thread that you can connect to prog is maybe your conceptual stuff. What you were yep. saying, they had right, right. what was the operation? Operation uh, Mind Crime. Operation Mind Crime. I think that was supposed to be pretty conceptual. And I know Iron Maiden yep. kind of has 
a couple of conceptual pieces, stuff where they want to incorporate fantasy elements, they want to incorporate themes. So from a storytelling perspective, that's the common thread between Prague and metal for them, for those groups, I think. I don't see from the limited, the very limited amount that I've heard from these bands, I don't see a lot of technical prowess, which is a big part, or keys really incorporated that much with those bands. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, so, oh, definitely. So I think, honestly, I totally agree with people when they think of Dream Theater, or at the very least this record, when they're talking about a term like prog metal, I think that is the perfect term for this album. Definitely. I think I think that is absolutely appropriate because the lyrics are, and that's something we can get into in a bit, the lyrics are a, a bit more intense, maybe right. more thought-provoking than something like I Want to Hold Your Hand by the Beatles or your top 10 songs that you hear today in pop or in country or any other genre. So I think they're a bit more thought-provoking. They're a bit deeper, maybe a tiny bit more intellectual. Yeah. And the music is very complicated. This is not easy yeah. stuff to play. It's not no, only it's not. fast. It's all over the neck of the guitar. It's all over the key, you know, the, mm -hmm. the 88 keys that you're playing on your keyboard. It's all over. And the time changes are absurd. And when I lot. say time, I'm not talking about tempo. I'm talking about time signatures. It's absurd, man. They use yeah. a lot of unconventional time signatures throughout this whole record. And it's not like, oh, we sprinkled that here and the rest of it's 4-4. No. Every single song, I think I could be wrong. Every single song has at least one time change. Every single one, at least mm. once, they change. Even on Wait for Sleep, which is very short. Yeah, it's it, it does four minutes. four. But before that, I could be yeah, wrong. That's true. No, I think I you're need to count it right. again. But it's not four four. I need to count it again. But I know it's not. It may be like um, eleven or something. I, I think you're right. I think it's something like maybe. eleven. They do like a six and five thing. I could be wrong, but um, it's been a while, and I didn't write down it when I was listening to it. So no, shame on me. No, I get but it. but this is definitely progressive rock but it's much heavier the distortion is much more intense and the use of the kick drums for sure the double kick which is very common element and a lot of that power metal um type of genre that's incorporated a lot here too so metal is definitely in this and prog rock there are a lot of threads to the pioneers as well this is the perfect blend of those two yeah i would agree 100 percent. so anyways that yeah. was my long little uh, no that, that spiel. was good I think I think there's like a, uh, and even with like the sound of the record, and it, it's like it's it's released. <laughs> I know, dude. It's just like it's just up in the background. there. It's just up there. We'll get there. We'll get there. But like the, the sound of the record too, like it's released in 1992. But this is a straight up 80s produced record. Oh yeah. You know, like it's, <laughs> it's eight. And what I find so interesting, and this is something that I was discussing earlier on our on our pre, uh, like our a little pre episode Instagram live that we were doing. We were looking, and we were like. This is, you know, when I think of metal, I think of, you know, the, maybe, 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 and maybe this is, maybe this is super shallow, but I think of like, uh, drop detuning, I think of low right. octaves, um, right. I think of gent a lot. Yeah, I, I think, think of gent of, too. Yeah, I think of gent, um, I think of really thick tones, thick, yep. thick tones, yep. and uh, double kick drums, very, yes. very powerful, you know, uh, stuff. But most of the time, it's very gritty. I think I think that the, a good word yeah. to describe it would be super yeah. gritty, right? And yeah. uh, but but the '80s had this interesting standard of very 
clean. Like if you listen to something like, yes. you know, like 2112 and 76, and then you listen to like Need You Tonight by NXS, right. you know, like there's- Are you a, talking about like guitar tones? Like honestly, like Marillion? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah Marillion, kinds of but even ambient. just the full on, just the full spectrum of how everything is, is produced. Like the right. 80s was a very clean era. Like the way things sounded were very, very clean. You know, every Rush record through the through the 80s was like very bright. Um, right. And, uh, you know, and that was because of the synthesizers and stuff like that. But it's funny because this record, like it doesn't, you know what I mean? Like it doesn't feel like the, the super, like it does have that grittiness, but it also has the, it's clean. Like it's a clean sounding record with the drums yes. and the, the, the arena reverbs. Right. And a lot of that um, is technology, like that. right? A lot of oh, the definitely. reason, a lot of the, you can tell if it's an 80s thing is because that was the technology at the time. And yes, it sounded cleaner as opposed to like right. an early 70s Zep album, right? Right, Zep exactly. Album. Exactly. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, it's it's just interesting. Sorry. I find I find that to be, uh, they're, they're just going nuts right here. Oh, yeah. This is, yeah, this is the part of the record that they're just going full on metal ELP here. That's an interesting. That's an that's interesting the way. Phrase. That's the way I think about it. Yeah. No, I'm serious. Like uh, whenever when I first heard this, I wrote this down yeah. as a note. I was like, the second half of Metropolis sounds like freaking metal ELP. Yeah, I can see that. Can I can see, see that. Yeah, absolutely. Actually, I, I like that. Oh, oh, I like oh, that. I, I, I like that. Oh, man. Oh. I knew we went right to it. We went oh. right to that. Nice little, uh, what was, what is that? What is that, a Kroll show? That's Kroll show. That's a Kroll sure. show. I was thinking it was Portlandia at first, but mm -hmm. that's definitely Kroll. Oh, 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 but why would you pay to be educated? Pay, pay to be educated. Oh, 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 I like that. Oh, I like Shoot. that. Shoot. Man, uh, the, it's so oh, good. The mess hall? Oh, you mean the cafetorium? Cafetorium? Oh, oh, I like that. Shoot. <laughs> God, that's so dumb. All right, sorry, all guys. Right. Anyway. Getting off track here. Um, th all right, let's, 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 all right, let's go ahead and put this whole, like, uh, history thing to bed, and let's just start talking about, I know we've, uh, let's just go you, straight into opinions. Opinions on it. What? What did? This is the first Dream Theater album that we've both listened to, full, full, uh, in full, listened to. Um, what are your thoughts on this? What? What did you think of overall feeling of it and opinions? Okay. As we okay, have this guys. entire insane section going on. Buckle up. Whoa. Um. No, it's just I. I there was a reason we had abstained from this for so long. Yeah. That's not true. That's not true. Okay. This is a mixed bag for me. So I had heard bits and pieces of Dream Theater growing up, especially when, you you know, we, we had some friends growing up that also liked Prague. I was in a band uh, before the one with Destin, and they were big Prague fans. And, you know, their parents had shown them Dream Theater, and they really liked it. And so I, I had known of them, and they had yeah. shown me – songs here and there in fairness i never listened to an album end to end which i think can really help contextualize where a band is at and is, is kind of a good thing to do yeah if you have the time if you have the time and the temperament to do it yeah if you take the time um, exactly Whew, yep. that was i slipped that hanging one in there. fruit i slipped that one in there whew, that was right there i can't <laughs> believe i didn't see it all right go ahead and pull me under your tier review ah Surround me with your review. Come on. Stop! Oh, my word. Dude, these puns. <laughs> this is bad. Man, that yeah, was this album taught rapid me. fire puns yeah. right there. Okay. This album taught me how to... It, it taught me how to live. I'm learning to live with this You're record. learning to... Stop! I know. I'm sorry. Oh, man. 
Hurry, I gotta catch my plane to the Metropolis real quick. Shoot. I gotta hurry that we gotta hurry this episode up. I gotta get to the Metropolis. Gosh. I'm sorry. I'm just kidding. I'll do that. Uh, I love day. it. Actually, I would love it if you could uh, keep on doing that because this is really, it's really entertaining. Um, no, you do it. Don't worry about it. I'll. Don't worry. I'll catch the plane on another day. <laughs> do you want to finish it out? I know you've no, still got to wait sleep. And under a glass moon. How am I supposed to use that? Under a glass moon? I don't know. Yeah, it's a little too, it's too out there for you. Dude, the ending uh, of Metropolis sounds like Jacob's Ladder to me. Does that, does that? it have is it? it? You know what I'm talking about? Drifting drops of in the I don't know. It just has kind of yeah. the same idea. It has a similar feel. cadence to it. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Um, but uh, I had heard bits and pieces. It was never really my thing, Dream Theater, when I was listening to, again, a song here and there. And because metal has never been my thing. Anytime I've heard anything that is considered metal, again, besides maybe with the exception of Rush or some of the early, early hard rockers, because mm -hmm. I like some of that stuff. Besides that, the stuff that was in the 80s and the 90s that was shaping form, uh, shaping that was taking form, was never really my thing. I listened to it and there are reasons why, and I can get into that later, but it was never really my thing. And so I heard this and I knew going in it would be metal. And it was, it certainly was, it was very intense. And I'll tell you, man, and I know Destin, we've talked about this. We, we've, you know, we've talked about this a bit Yeah. before we did this episode, but man, I cannot stand the sound of the drums. That's a big thing for me. And it's not the plane. The plane is amazing. Some of the it stuff seems a little overkill. Like as far as compositionally, I'm like, okay, that seems a little much there, but yeah. And it gets but, numbing. It gets numbing after a while. The double yeah, kick get numbing. Like it's just kind of like, Oh, dude, I, it, that's, that's there. That is what kills me. It's the, it's the tone. It is the shape of the tone of the kick drum yeah. and the snare. It's just too much for me. Yeah, and I don't cannon. know it's it is a cannon. It is the punchiest I've ever heard either of those those drum heads. Yeah. I've never heard a punchier kick drum or a punchier snare drum. And sometimes that can be good. Some people like that. But man, there is no room to breathe. There is no room to breathe. When I hear okay, let's let's take let's take something as big and as epic as the drum sound on When the Levy Breaks by Led Zeppelin on yep. Led Zeppelin 4. That has so much breath to it. And there's a reason for that. They actually recorded yeah. it in a big foyer or a foyer. Yeah, and they probably um, used a lot of room mics on it. Exactly. Absolutely. Yep. And they had a lot of ambience and a lot of mm -hmm. like just breath to it. You can, yeah. you know, that that aftershock, that kind of after just, you can hear it breathe, the sound of the drum, the boom. And then you kind of hear it spread out, spread out. That's a good term. It spreads yeah. out. It has room yeah. to breathe. With this, and Destin, you were telling me this, that a lot of metal records will chop that off. They will chop off the breath because they're so you because the breath would interfere with the next kick which is coming up less than you know half a beat later. Just the yeah. well, when you have, right, when, you that, have a, when you have a lot of uh, kick drums that are back to back what they would do a lot mm -hmm. of the time and le and at least this is like something that's modern and one of my audio engineer teachers was right. uh you know did a lot of metal stuff. He produced a lot of metal stuff and um he told me that they would sample they would especially for modern stuff modern metal right. they would sample out the kick drum and the reason why is because when you hit a bass drum you know you get an overtone and that overtone can cloud into right. the other instruments if not it's if not itself and right. so what they would do is they would only take the attack they would only take the right. attack of the kick exactly. drum and put that in 
Um, and that's what and I so, hear. Yeah, I don't think I don't know if this is same. I don't think that it is actually. Uh, I mean, in 1992, I don't think they had no. The capa- I wouldn't they don't expect have the capabilities, but right. They there was certainly a um, you know a more of a uh, computerized and, and that's that's eighties, dude. That's the eighties. You know, is that is that very computerized um, sound that reverb um, that you're that you're hearing and everything. And it's like it doesn't. It sounds. It's it's punchy and super yeah. uh, sharp, I guess it you is. could say. But you know, it doesn't have a, and even though it does have a lot of like airiness to it, like it's not like it's not like it's dry. It's not like it has no reverb. It, just, it even with the reverb, it just doesn't sound like it's cohesive. And yeah, uh, I, 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 I can't hear very at. much reverb. I can't hear very much breath after a lot of the kick drum sounds. It just sounds. There's too much punch to it. There's too much attack. And obviously you want the kick drum to be a prominent part. It's the backbeat. That's what people are kind of listening mm-hmm. to to kind of figure out where am I supposed to sway to this song? Where am I supposed to really lock in? I, I totally get that. But oh man, it doesn't it just it 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 bothers me and so does the sound of the snare. And that's a weird thing to really criticize because I've never really done that before. It's not like I go through I'm not a drummer. I'm not a drummer like you are. I don't go through all the records. I don't go through Rush's record and say, "Man, the way they toned the drum on the last record was way better." Like that's just something I don't think of. Mm-hmm. Or distracts me from or detracts me from enjoying the music. This yeah. did. This did. This bothered me and I don't know why, but it just did. Um yeah. if we're talking about compositionally, this 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 record is pretty great. Like I said, I, I said sometimes he he kind of goes overkill with the drums every now and then, but on on the whole, all of the instruments get to really kind of shine and show their technical prowess. All the musicians, yeah, and in pretty creative, unique ways. And I'll say compositionally, overall, this is a pretty solid album, and I enjoy some of the comp, not all of them. There are some things that just kind of bother me here and there that detract from it um, for one reason or another, but man, it's definitely progressive rock. It has the elements of progressive rock and then they add the metal into it. It's, there are some really cool parts. There are some keyboard solos that I'm like, wow, that's awesome. That's yeah. really cool. That was well composed solo right there. Yeah, That was a well composed arrangement. And honestly, structures of the songs remind me of, prog rock they're pretty long and they incorporate they have these different moods sometimes they kind of cut them off and just go into a new section just like it just stops and another one happens yeah but that can happen in a lot of other prog rock records oh yeah it does. even i've heard and i like so i'm not going to totally you know slap their hand for that but they uh compositionally this was this was really strong and it, Lots of creativity in crafting these songs. Um, so I'll say that. I liked yeah. that. There's a mixed bag. There are moments in there that I really, really enjoy that. I'm like, wow, that's really cool. That's really, really neat. And then there are other parts that I just – and I know something we've talked about, Destin, and maybe – I've been talking for a while, so maybe I'll let you take the wheel here. But I'll just segue in saying the vocals. I, yeah, the can't vocals. do James LeBury. Sorry. You can't do them. Can't do it. Nope. Nope. Mm-mm. It's it's uh, and it's funny too because when I was looking up online to be like, what, what is the problem with it? 
uh, <laughs> not not problem not problem with with it, which being like problem with James, the the problem with Dream Theater. Like when I was looking up online, most people huh. like the first thing that they would say no to is James. They would th- they would say no to the vocals. Interesting. You know? And uh, you know what? Screw this. I'm, I'm gonna give I'm gonna give a, a very very simple synopsis of of James Labrie on this record. You ready for this? Oh, is it time no. for this? Are you is it ready time for this? Are is you whipping time? this out? Are you yeah, doing I'm, gonna, it? I'm doing it right now. I'm gonna do it right, right now. Okay, I'm gonna give a. This is this is my synopsis. Uh. I'm not even gonna say anything. Actually, I'm probably going to, but I don't care. This is my synopsis of James Labrie. Oh, that's the worst one. I mean, as annoying as that is to hear just back to back to back, that's how it was for us, I think. Yes, right? dude. Every that's what it is. It's like, think of song, that. But every that, song, except for Wait for Sleep. That's what it is. It's in I, this you know, audio file. And to be fair, to be fair, that's, that's an impressive range. That I couldn't that's do that. That's a crazy right? Night after night. That's a, that's, he's a fantastic singer when it comes to pitch, but man – the character of his voice is just not there for me. It's just, <laughs> oh my yeah. gosh. It's just like, yeah. and it's funny too. It's funny because, and this is something that I found online. He suffered a severe vocal injury in 94. Oh, wow. I mean, sorry, but dude, like chill just a little Whoa. bit. I mean, it's just, <laughs> like, I'm like, oh my goodness. It's just every time I heard that, it's the same run. <laughs> It's the same, like, uh, dude, I just could not. I can't. It was just, it was overly done, overused. And it was almost like it was yeah. supposed to add something to it, but I just didn't feel anything no, anytime he did no. that. No, I will say, though, when he gets into the lower registers and he's not wailing like that, I enjoy it. I like Wait for Sleep a lot. And I like that yeah. it's kind of a more tender feel to that song, mood to that song. And. I even like when he's not like wailing, but even in the beginning of Take the Time, just let me catch my breath. Apparently, like, I, those I'm are like, samples. Apparently, those are samples that I, that they that they took from other records. I think one oh. of them's from like a Frank Zappa record. Um, oh, the beginning when he's like, "Come yes. on, wait a minute." Yep. Yeah, that. But then when he starts singing and he's actually getting into it, and he's like, "Just let me catch my breath." Yeah. Before he goes, I think it's time for a change. Before yep. that, I'm like, "Okay, I can yep. get into these vocals. I can do it. Oh, it's yeah, not overdone. Was, it's not. You're not yelling at me." Now here's yeah. the deal. 
here's the deal. If I am playing devil's advocate, which I do way too often, I would ask, okay, so why do you like Getty Lee's voice? Like, why are you criticizing James Labrie, but then you listen to stuff like Robert Plant from Led Zeppelin and you like Rush, which also has kind of that nasally high-pitched, yeah, yeah. Why doesn't it bother you there? I don't have a good answer for you. I yeah. don't have a good answer for you. And in fairness, I don't really have to. Music is subjective. You can like what you like, right? Yeah. But I do think it's interesting. I wonder that myself. Why, why doesn't Getty's voice bother me? Yeah. Because, or like Peter, it, I mean, obviously everyone's voice is like, different, sorry, but it's, they're pretty similar. They're pretty similar if you look at it objectively. Yeah. yeah. I, think I think maybe it, part of it is because Getty doesn't sustain the notes as long. He's pretty short and choppy, and maybe that helps to delivery soften. delivery over tone. You know. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Delivery is a big thing. How you deliver it, the character of your voice, all of that too might be elements as to why. But yeah, possibly, I just find I, that interesting. That yeah. I, you know, because every time I you know kind of trash something, I'm like, well, I don't want to totally trash something. We try not to do that on the show. So let me also say that I'm just gonna give this brief little side note here. We don't like any, I'm sure, I know we have a bunch of people who are Dream Theater fans and I'm sure people who have never heard the show, this might be their first one listening to. Yeah. We don't want to totally trash it. They're amazing musicians. They're phenomenal musicians. Oh. Uh, that is undeniable when you listen to this music. And yep. I, like I said earlier, this is the perfect blend of prog and metal in my opinion. And I think that this record deserves the accolades. It absolutely deserves the accolades it has gotten and the recognition it has gotten. This is a unique this is a very unique album this is a one-of-a-kind album i i think so yeah it's just not something that i would listen to very frequently let me put yeah. it that way me neither frequently. i don't think i would i would agree with you and i think it's just yeah if you're gonna stick on the whole vocal thing you know mm -hmm. i think uh there's not a whole lot of the vocal melodies that really caught me i'll tell you the the, the very okay, yeah. the very best the, the best vocal vocally the best of James Labrie on this album is like the first two minutes of Take the Time. That, in my opinion, like it's groovy. He's like, it's fitting really well in there. Like, I don't know, the other songs, especially the one that we're listening to right now, Under a Glass Moon, it just feels like the, the vocals are just slapped on there. Okay. You know? Okay, I'm not going to disagree with that. I, it just, that's how it feels to me. It's just kind of like, if it was without it, if it was without vocals altogether, which is funny because without the vocals is what I've heard online and a lot of people say is basically just liquid tension experiment. You know. Okay, yeah, which, which is a side project that some of the other members did, yeah, right? With, with later Tony on. Levin, yeah, Mike Portnoy. I was about to say, I knew it was Levin. something Tony Levin because, yeah. and the only reason and I remember somebody that is else I, was at a, I was at a concert. I think I was at like a, a Genesis, like not Genesis, but uh, Steve Hackett. I think that's where it was. And you know, some, some guy saw my shirt and it was a crimson shirt. And he talked about Tony Levin, and then he talked about, oh, dude, he did a project with Dream Theater called Liquid Tension Experiment. So I saw reading that online mm -hmm. that they went off to do the side project. I was like, why does that sound familiar? And it was because some prog fan, some dude in his 50s yeah. with a long white oh, ponytail was like, dude, you got to check this out. Uh <laughs> I know. Dude, it's – but, like, I, I, found a, I found a quote online that I, that I really, really enjoyed. Um, it, I don't think I 100% agree with it. Some of the wording that this guy is using is uh, pretty strong. But hmm. uh, I, I think – that I agree with it to a certain extent. He says this. It says, quote, and this is a quote from a uh, from a Dream Theater forum. This is a quote. It says, I think they are great musicians, but they don't play it well in their music, and the execution is just, for a lack of a better word, sappy. 
I can understand why other musicians love their musical abilities, but it just leaves me feeling like each individual member should start their own solo projects instead of collectively going nuts. If DD from Dexter's Lab had a favorite band, it would be Dream Theater because their music, to me, evokes images of rainbows, unicorns, and the like. Maybe if they got rid of the keyboardist, talented dude, no doubt, they would sound marginally better. I like my prog to be introspective and neurotic. Dream Theater just sounds like an excited 12-year-old Twilight fangirl. Wow. I told you it was strong wow. language. I told you it was strong language, but there's there's some truth in this, too. DD from Dexter's Lab. I know. Wow, I know. way to pull that out. I know. But, like, wow. there's a certain point to this that I, that I agree with. Like, if they went off and did their own solo projects it makes complete sense to me like that that would make 100% sense to me and and I do under and I also hmm. kind of agree with the whole execution like why do a ballad why another day why is this yeah. why is that song on yeah. this record well I saw okay I saw well on the topic of that I saw some guy on again I told you some of the the naysayers yep um, again there, there weren't very many but the ones I did see there was one guy who said I really hate it when it's a crutch for people who want to be considered prog or maybe not prog rock but progressive and yeah. different what they do as a crutch is they will just f put quote unquote diversity onto the record by putting something like a ballad in the midst of their intense power slam yep. you know epics or whatever they'll put that on there to be like oh look we have a diverse record that means we're, we're prog right we're eclectic yep and he he was pretty pissed he was like that should not have been on this record um, Interesting. Yeah, I, I agree. Now, if I have mixed feelings, I don't totally agree. Uh, I, I'm not a huge fan of the ballad. Another day, just like that guy said, it's sappy. However, I love the saxophone on it, which lends to that its sappiness. Great. So it's kind of weird. It's kind of counterintuitive yeah. that I like the sax, but that lends to its sappiness, and it does. But part of the reason I like it is because that's Jay Beckenstein, and he's the guy for Spyrogyra. And yeah. Come on. You can't, don't joke nice. around with Spyrogyra. They're awesome. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's some awesome jazz fusion there. Um, but uh, so I love his playing on that because he's just a phenomenal player. Yeah. Um, but uh, but I also disagree with him when he's talking about uh, um, the keyboard. I like the keyboards on this record, actually. I really enjoy the keys on this record. Some of the key solos I really enjoy. I like this, the, the composition of like the key riffs like we're listening to right here. Like, yeah. I I like the keys on this a lot, and I'll be honest, I think some of the songs that Kevin Moore wrote on here, I like the lyrics a bit more. I think hmm. he wrote Wait for Sleep, which is kind of, it's it's not as, I don't know, ballady, but it's softer, for sure. I guess it is kind of a ballad. I guess it kind of is. But uh, I yeah. like the lyrics to that, and that's a whole element. We've we talked a lot more about this than I thought we would, actually. Um, I... <laughs> Yeah. We can go through the lyrics if you want, because I did prepare that. Well, dude, I'll give you I'll give you a fun fact about the lyrics. For... I bet you're going to give me a fun fact about the lyrics. I'm going to give you a fun fact about the lyrics. Here comes the fun fact about the lyrics. The band came together on Take the Time to write about their individual experiences. Did you know this? Yes, I did. did. Okay, I read yeah. that, which yeah. I thought was really neat, actually. I thought That's that a cool really experiment. Neat. It's a really cool experiment. Mike Portnoy... Um, well, each, each member contributes to the composition of the lyrics. Yes. So Mike Portnoy, this is yes. a quote from him. He says, we decided to write a song about everything we'd been going through for the past three years, looking yeah. for a new singer. Oh, this is one of the best parts of this album as well, right here. I love this bass line. Yes. Anyway, 
Uh, we decided to write a song about everything we'd been going through the past three years, looking for a new singer, uh, a new label, and new management. Just all the changes we made and all the frustrations we went through, but have, but have it coming from each of our four different perspectives. So we broke it up and said, okay, you take the first verse, you take the second verse, went away, wrote the lyrics about our feelings, about all the stuff we were going through, and then put it together. Then when we wrote the chorus, together. That was the first time we had ever done that, and it's the only song on the album where the lyrics were actually written by everybody. That's a very neat idea. It is a neat idea. And I, th- and I think that just adds a little bit to the to the song's experience in terms of a collective, um, just a collective experience for all of them because they were going through some crap before this looks before this. Yeah, album. I think that honestly there are a lot of parallels to be drawn between this and the twenty one twelve story, which Definitely. is our very first episode uh, talking about the history. They were going through bad management. They didn't have a good singer to start with, so they let him go, and they were looking for a while. And they went through a slew of singers. Yep. Right? One where yep. it's like, oh, I think I like him, and then it just didn't work out. Or yeah, I didn't go through audition. all that. I didn't go through the history of that. But, I didn't think it was we had the time. Well, no, you got to take the time. Um, but um, <laughs> I know it's pretty bad. Um, uh, they, they were going through a lot, and this easily could have been a make-or-break deal for them. Uh, they were lucky that they found, I think, Atco Records that heard a couple of records and they got signed on to, you know, some management. Tell them, that, that tell them yeah, better. you got to tell them about Atco because I did not know that fact. Oh, the fun fact: Derek Schulman was part of Atco, and and he found and, he, and they, I don't know if he found them, but he he signed them. Uh, so, Derek Schulman of Gentle Giant. Gentle Giant, yeah, uh, one, one of the instrumentalist. Yeah, one of the brothers of Gentle Giant. Uh, very interesting band. I think it's cool that it's three brothers, but. Um, but, Check um, out that episode if you haven't. That one's cool. Yeah. Their debut album uh, that we did. Definitely. But uh, <clears throat> the lyrics on this uh, record are it's, it's just like I have with the rest of the elements of the album. Very mixed bag. There are some moments I'm like, that's actually really good. That's really profound. That's a well-written lyric. Um, honestly, the chorus of Take the Time. Uh, I think they kind of change it up every now. But you can feel the waves coming on. It's time to take the time. Let them destroy you or carry you on. You're fighting the weight of the world, and no one can save you this time. Close your eyes. You can find all you need in your mind. That's a well-written lyric, in my hmm. opinion. Yeah. That's a well-written lyric. Uh, and like I said, I really enjoy Wait for Sleep. That's a gorgeous song. And I don't know if you think the the music is too sappy for you to get into it, but... I love Wait for Sleep. Hoping that the memory will, yeah. will leave her spirit soon. Um There are some phrases in there that are really, really eloquent, that are really well written. Um, She shuts the door and lights and lays her body on the bed where images and words are running deep. She has too much pride to pull the sheets above her head, so quietly Quietly she lays and waits for sleep. That's a a great stanza. That's a good line, yeah. That's a great stanza right there. So there are moments here and there that are great, and then there are parts where it's like, pull me under, where I'm like, okay. It's more thought-provoking than like a pop love song, which again, nothing wrong with that, but just something that a deeper theme pull me under i don't think you can interpret that any other way than kind of death or kind of a suicide-ish yeah, type of theme like to it pull me under i'm not afraid that type of whole deal or maybe it's not suicide maybe it's just accepting death i don't know but it's intense but the rest of the lyrics are are a little too ambiguous it seems like they're so introspective that hardly anyone can relate i feel that way with a lot of kind of the big prog epics on this record for mm. most of them 
Mm -hmm. Watch the sparrow falling gives a new meaning to all. If not today, nor yet tomorrow, then some other day. I'll take seven lives for one. And then my only father's son, as sure as I did ever love him, I am not afraid. What? 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 I don't know. I... Okay, I think, again, this was something where you were like, I get this, and if someone asks me about it and then reads it, it'll be really cool. But uh -huh. you can't relate to that when you're just hearing it. So, yeah, that's again, weird. mixed bag, because, again, there are moments in that? here that are excellent, I think, lyrically. And then there are others that I'm like, okay, you guys aren't really lyricists, and that's okay. Um, and like. you can, I guess you can kind of tell, because some of them are written by different members, right? It's not like there was one main lyricist. Right. Right, which yep. to that credit, I think it's kind of cool. You know, you got multiple lyricists in the band, but sometimes it's just not as effective if you have people whose strengths don't yeah. lie in writing. You know what I mean? Yeah. So no, that makes that makes complete sense. It can, it can granted, be, it can be I, cool in a certain way, but you gotta have you gotta have the talent to be able to pull something like right. that off. Granted, I don't think the appeal of this record, the large appeal for a lot of fans, is the lyrics. Is so. the lyrics? No, no, definitely. So, I, yeah. Anyways, it's, in it's, fairness to them, yeah. you know, uh, it's the guitars, it's it's Portnoy, it's you know, right, exactly, the the keyboard sounds and stuff, right, which, you know, right, are, yeah, it's interesting. I think they have they have a standard, you know, and and even though there's some creative choices that I would disagree with, I can totally see somebody listening to this and just going, oh, I can mess with that idea, oh, I I, right. I, I can like I can progress. From something like this that that's something that when right. i was listening to it makes complete sense to me you know yeah. and uh and they're not you know they're not only respectable because of like great musicians that they are but they've had to overcome incredible odds yeah for absolutely the, for the first 15 years of their career i mean they've fought through numerous um uh, member changes and identity crisis and record label tyranny you know like petrucci and portnoy um they even run their, I don't even know if you, if you knew this or not, they run their own forums. And, uh, oh, and wow. I found, yeah, I found a couple of them, and they'll find uh, time to chat with, with some of their fans. That's you cool. Know? So, like, maybe, maybe the music doesn't have an appeal to me or you to, to a certain aspect, but the, right, impact, right. the impact that they've had on progressive metal and musicians is just undeniable. I mean, and the fact that we're talking about them on the show just shows that impact. So, oh, absolutely. You know, they're, they're a huge. No, I was. I was gonna say when someone was talking about doing Dream Theater, they, I, I, and this is just my opinion, but I think if you were to pull some prog fans, if you were to just say list ten, not necessarily your favorite, just list mm -hmm. ten prog rock bands, this I would be shocked if it was not in the list for the majority of people. Yeah, I yeah. think most people would say Dream Theater in there, yep. even if they're not huge fans. That's probably one of the ten that they would mention. Yeah, they're a huge band. For, yeah. for the genre of prog rock, so yeah, I saw them as being the uh, what they what they said they, they called them saviors of progressive metal. Huh. I thought that was interesting, and and they were making cases for it too. In fact, hold on, hold on, let me find my note on this. There were people that were talking about this. Is actually this. a really good part. This is a really good. Oh, part. I love this Sorry. part, especially with the piano, the piano at the very beginning before this. Um, okay, yeah, okay. So people were making cases for Queensrÿche or Tool being the saviors of progressive metal. But they just didn't have the impact on the genre the way that Dream Theater did. Dream oh, Theater was the first band that actually combined progressive rock and heavy metal influences in a more progressive way. 
Queensryche effectively innovated off of the heavy metal influence, and Tool was able to combine unique progressive atmospheres with metal, but they didn't do so until halfway point until their, of their current career. Dream Theater did what none of those bands did. They ushered in a genre. I thought that was an interesting quote. They ushered in a genre. Queensryche and Tool can't quite make the same claim. They were first. Right. They were the first metal band to effectively use keyboards in a progressive way, and in the right. bands in the scene today are a confirmation of that influence being spread. And they listed some bands: Zero Hour, Clockwork, Andromeda, and Symphony X for proof of that. Yeah, I agree. And I'll I say that was the, an interesting quote. Yeah, the track we're listening to right now, fantastic track. It's my favorite on the album. I'll say yeah. that. Yeah, I think so too. It's 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 mine as well. Learning to live, the ending track is phenomenal. And, and it's the only part that takes away is the 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 vocal. But like, what's funny? What's funny too is that like, if you listen, to, if you listen to that part, like the whole you know the up and scale and the screaming, like, what's the point right. of doing that? It's probably to to you know withdraw some sort of pull, some sort of emotion or some sort of tension or excitement or whatever. But I get way right. more excitement listening to the last section right there where he's just like, you know, the, the instruments are all on their little section and they're playing a song and the way he's delivering those lyrics, that's way more impactful than any of the screams or yells that he does in this album. Yeah. And this outro riff is so good. That's so good. It's so good. And the freaking choir. Yeah, yeah the little choir pad underneath is Dude, really, really good. No, this is a great way to end the record. You know, oh, it's phenomenal. Um, I'm trying to think of an album that we've already done on this show that reminds me of where they have like a like this little instrumental section that just kind of goes for a little bit. I'm trying to think. Of, we've done a lot. Yeah, I, I, it's hard of, for me to go through all of them. I, I can't think of it at the moment, but you know, I'm gonna go back to I'm gonna go back to one thing because there, there was something. There's another thing that I found online that I found really really interesting because you know I don't know a whole lot, so I had to do a lot of research to cover most of the material for this record but another sure. thing another thing that i found is that people usually progress to other bands from dream theater like anything else prog right right like anything else prog but and 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 this is what i found online this is not my opinion but a, a majority of what i found a lot online is that they apparently people have found more depth in other material and uh some mentioned symphony x and blotted science but you know, they were mentioning a lot of other bands or just been like, oh yeah, like I found, it, it was this, it was the type of thing where people are saying like, oh yeah, I found Dream Theater when I was this and now I listen to this, this, and this. It's almost like finding right. Genesis or finding it's a, Rush. It's a gateway. It's, it's a, a gateway, gateway band. They're a gateway <laughs> band, you know? And so, but, um, it's a prog metal. Were, yeah, yeah it, it was like, it was a gateway band. And so this to me um, was kind of coming off, maybe, maybe they may sound like a, like a one trick pony, you know, but, and I'm not a massive prog metal fan. I like my fair share of it. But one thing I do know is that the the prog metal lovers sometimes get a bit annoyed when people say that Dream Theater is like the best band ever, you know, because right. there there are these other, they start going off and finding these other things. And people are arguing that there are other people who have done the Dream Theater thing, in quotes, better than right. what dream theater and they were saying that it was kind of like yeah it's kind of shallow or sappy or whatever and i could see i can see that i mean i felt some of that when i was first listening to this but you know and and some people were saying that they couldn't like understand it or like that, that was the other arguments that people were making of like uh, it's like why people don't like dream theater 
you know, and but people could say the same thing about Rush, who yeah. who was a huge influence on Dream Theater. I think that yeah. the I, I think that not understanding the odd time odd meters and the and the time signatures is is spot on when it comes to understanding a lot of it. But just like just like Rush, it throws people off. Like if you're not a musician, it takes a while to to get it. It's 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 complex. It, the music's quite dense. It can sound like a mess at the first listen. You know, but um, I think an effective trick is is not only listening, or, or an effective trick is is only listening to one musician at a time, and then listen and and hear until you appreciate it, and then you can focus on how it supports and plays off of each other. Like there's a ton of guitar and keys interplay. You know, the accuracy is is second to none. They're just not a not a band that's going to catch people on first listen. At, at first, I hated it. You know, right. Um, I think I think their gold is is when you start digging sort of into the deep tracks and, and some of the fan favorites, you know, and which is which right. is another thing that I think, and at least in my experience, another thing that's true of Rush. Like, I think right. Dream Theater really carried and you said that Rush carried the torch when it come to kind of the, the prog. Man, and I think Dream Theater sort of did the same thing when it came to the modern age of it. And, uh, <laughs> you know, there's no one else as as precise as as Russian Dream Theater, I think lots of other great hmm. bands to listen to, but I think these guys these guys just have a a level of mastery on their instruments that's pretty much unrivaled. You know, they're they're uh, they're world class from that perspective. I'll give them that. I'll say that. That's that's going to be kind of my my ending thought on who they are as a band. Hmm. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, I just went on a rant right there. No, it's great. Fantastic. So, Anyway, well, you want to have another fun fact? Because I found something online that, well, before we finish up here, I found something online that was that was hilarious. And yeah, yeah, yeah. There is, okay, and I told you this actually before. John Petrucci, Mike Portnoy, and John Myung all married women in a female thrash metal band called Mean Streak. And they have one album from 1988 it is a headbanger. I would rec- I'd recommend going and checking it out. It's it's a it's a uh, a four piece all female thrash metal band, and Petrucci, Portnoy, and and Myung, all married women from that band. They married three of the four members of that band. You, and they you have, were thrashed. You were thrashed. I was thrashed. Oh man, another crawl, another crawl. We're on a crawl show. Uh, yeah. Do a quick here. plug. Do a quick plug for that, yeah. So, Shoot. you know, people say that Stephen Wilson is, is just a sad human because he never smiles, which you know, that's you know, he he smiles more now than than he used to, and you know, on, on his early. But I, dude, try and find a photo of John Myung smiling. I've seen it's Stephen Wilson never. smile, but I cannot never. find a photo of this dude smiling. No way. He's, he's a serious dude. He's a serious dude. I don't know what his deal hey, is. That's I just mean, his shoot. What's your deal, I, man? Yeah, like, I, was gonna, you, I was going to I was going to ask you. I was going to ask you because he's a bass player. I was like, what's the deal with bass players not smiling? Uh, unless you call McCartney. Yeah, uh, yeah, that tends to be true. Uh, Chris Squire never really smiled that much. Yeah, what's uh, the deal? Yeah, you know, it's it's a serious instrument, man. Yeah. Huh. I don't know. Unless you're Paul McCartney. Huh. 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 That's interesting. Interesting. Oh my goodness. Do you have any other last thoughts on this on this thing? Anything before we yeah, close? Yeah, but it I'm out? not gonna give them. Whoa. 
No, I All think right. that was pretty good. We've gone a lot longer than I thought we would. I uh, um, th- there's 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 a lot to say actually about this record, and uh, hope we didn't offend too many people. No, not as much as Pawn Hearts. Shoot, <laughs> going off. Not as much as Pawn Hearts. How can you not get it? I don't, I don't know. Just, I just don't, just man. Don't. I just anyway. don't. I just don't. I know. Sorry. So anyway, well, everybody, thank you for listening to our uh, to our podcast. These are our prog notes for images yeah. These are our prog notes. These are these are our ours. prog notes on images and words. If you enjoyed the episode, learned something new from the episode, please subscribe and share. Follow us on Instagram at prog underscore notes and our new Facebook page at prog notes podcast. You can also join our prog notes community, which will give you access to our monthly newsletter and other fun stuff like Spotify playlist, our Discord community and other prog rock music, you can find the link to join in this episode's description or on our social media platforms. Like I said at the beginning of the episode, we have a very special announcement regarding the show. So switching gears here a little bit, um, we want to start being consistent with our content with you uh, or, or for you. So to do that, we are going to start releasing episodes on the 15th of each month. The inconsistency of our episodes, we realize, has made it difficult for people to listen since we only do one episode a month normally. And the future hope is that we will record more frequent episodes, possibly twice a month, along with a bi-monthly newsletter. So go mark your calendars or set a reminder for the 15th of each month starting in August because that will be when our next episode is released. Um, And speaking of our next episode, Drew, what album will we be covering for that episode going back to our roots going back to what you and i know well this is we're gonna do uh, animals by pink floyd animals pink floyd you guys voted on it actually on on instagram we uh we had a poll saying animals or lamb lies down on broadway and the winner was animals by pink floyd so join us next time as we discover the past present and future of prog rock we're gonna close with wait for sleep so why not right we're just gonna we're gonna listen to the nice little two and a half minute. See you guys on Discord. Thank you. Take